Great things he hath done, and great is the microphone. Great, good to see you this morning. Grab your Bibles if you would and find Romans chapter 8. We're going to be listening verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 8, good to see you today. Thank you so much, uh, Aaron and choir leading us in worship. Uh, you saw something happen today that happens rarely, more men in the choir than women. But, uh, but they did a great job, and we thank you so much for continuing to add to our worship uh, today. Uh, glad to see you out this morning. We're glad that you parted a wonderful, beautiful weekend and a great time being in the Lord's house. And we are finishing up our series, at least for now, on the fact that we know that He is alive and He's working in you. We'll continue to be back in Romans at another time, but uh, we are starting next week, so I want you to come. Uh, we know that Mother's Day is approaching, Father's Day, some of those things happening and different emphasis and uh, Bible schools happening, so uh, it's going to be about answers for the family found in God's Word, and so we want you to be thinking and praying about that. Maybe a good time. We talk about different seasons of life, but we believe every time you come, there's going to be something for everybody that comes. And as God's Word always is able to speak to us. This morning, we are in Romans chapter eight. We'll pick up in verse verse twelve. Read verses twelve through seventeen. Would you stand in honor the reading of God's Word today? So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word, and you may be seated. When, uh, when Jay Barker was the quarterback for the University of Alabama, he gave testimony at a church in Birmingham. And yes, I realize where I am and where I'm standing, but it still makes for a good story. Uh, his, uh, he had just turned 20 years old, and I think as a starting quarterback, something with statistics were like he had 31, 31, had lost two. But he's giving testimony at a particular church, and his family was there in Birmingham, and there's a couple of rows of football players, Alabama players, that were sitting there on the front. And as he gave testimony, he said, I'm... As of last week, I'm no longer a teenager. But I want you to know that I have never drank alcohol. I have never done drugs. and I've never been involved in premarital sex. Now, he didn't say it in the sense of bragging, but uh, actually said it with a sense of thanking his family and friends who helped him along the way and giving glory to God. After the service that day, the pastor was standing uh, with uh, one of the men and there the men, his two sons were standing there, ages 10 and 6. And he, he said this, and I heard the pastor tell this. He said, uh, he said, he asked the 10-year-old how he liked Jay Barker. He said, oh, he said, I love him. And he began to quote statistics, and he said, oh, he's such a good Christian, and I want to be like Jay Barker. And then he asked the 6-year-old, he said, well, what do you think of, uh, what do you think of Jay Barker? He said, oh, I love Jay Barker. As a matter of fact, I'm never going to drink alcohol I'm never going to do drugs, but i got to tell you, I may not be able to do without. Now, at this point, his father is about to panic about what his six-year-old is going to say because of what Jay Barker's testimony was. 
He said, but he said, I'm never going to drink alcohol. I'm never going to do drugs. But I got to tell you, I don't know that I can do without my pre-meal snacks. <laughs> well, he didn't quite everything, quite understand everything that was said, but he got the gist of it, you understand. Everybody may want to be like somebody, and I'm asking you this morning, who is it that you'd like to emulate? Who is it that you would like to be? Because I want to convince you this morning that the greatest person, certainly our greatest goal, is to be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I, and I want us to look to the Bible this morning to ask a, a couple of often asked questions, to answer a couple of often asked questions. Sometimes asked by those who are on the outside, maybe looking in, sometimes asked by believers themselves. And the first one is this. If Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, we read last week, where it says, There is therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If we believe that that's true, and we certainly believe that it is, that those who are in Christ, there is no punishment to be worried about. There is no wrath of God we do not have to worry about. His judgment. If that is true, we believe it it is, then what incentive is there to live for Jesus? Hope you'll be able to answer that question before we leave today. The second question I remember being asked by a teenager by the name of Larry. Now, this was a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and Larry is one of those smart alecky teenagers who like to ask questions to see if he can stump the youth minister or pastor, maybe not so much interested in the answer, but likes to hear himself talk and see if he can make the leader stumble. Now, those students always kind of stood out to me because I was one of those smart-alecky teenagers, but I'm sure I'm glad that the sarcasm has now worn off as I got older. Well, one Wednesday or one Sunday night, Larry raises his hand and knew this is going to be good. Yes, Larry, what is the question that you've got? He said, Brother Jeff, you're always telling us that we need to be more like Jesus, but if we're never going to be like Jesus, if we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven, we're never even going to get close to how good Jesus is, then why should we even try? Well, I said, Larry, that's a good question. He sat back down and kind of looked around as if he knew it was a good question and wanted to hope that perhaps that I might not be able to answer that question. And, uh, uh, and I got to tell you, I cannot remember exactly what I told Larry that night but I will tell you this, for some 35 years I have been seeking to tell people why we need to be more and more like Jesus. I think I know how I would answer Larry today, but, and I'm going to tell you in just a moment. But I'm convinced we've been going about this thing all wrong, at least I have. We ask too little of our members. We ask church folk actually to give their minimums. We say... Come to church at least once a week, maybe on Sunday mornings. Perhaps you can come on Wednesday night too or maybe to another activity if you can at all make it. And then we're surprised when people come less than we ask. We say give to the church. A tithe is a good standard. Give at least a tithe if you can, but most give something less. But because, why is that? Because the God of the Bible knows that it is in our human nature that most of us will do less than required or asked. In the Old Testament, God gave us the Ten Commandments. We know that there are a lot of other commandments, but sometimes we might say that these are the minimum in a sense. But we fall far short and we do a little less than even the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, first part of Romans tells us how we have fallen short. We're not even doing the minimum. Most people will do, most people, not all, but most people will do a little less than required, a little less than asked. We've say, and you've heard me say, 
Everybody needs at least one job in the church. You need to have at least one thing that you're doing in the church or invite at least one person to church. As a matter of fact, we're part of our uh, campaign kind of this uh, year is that we want you, who's your one? And, and in fact, with that campaign, I've heard other people repeat it. It's not necessarily uh, telling one person about Christ, but it's hopefully that you will lead at least one person to Christ. But I've got to tell you, when we ask for only one, we're saying who's the minimum because if it's true that most people do less than one, where does that leave us? Well, I've never seen one. One what? A half a person. Some people in church do more than required and more than uh, the minimum. Let's see if we can come up with a percentage of how many we think of our church members who do maybe more than the minimum or more than required or more than what's asked. Would it be 50%? We'd probably say no way. 25%? Well, look around at a special event or a Wednesday night or if anything's that are happening when we ask people to do things, even to fill out a VBS type thing and to be praying for VBS or to be a part of it. How many people make the contacts or doing more, take the jobs in the church? We'll probably say somewhere between the 10% and the 25%. If we have about 750 members and 75 of those who are really on fire doing the things that we would like to do and that the Lord would have them to do, we'd say that'd probably be a pretty good percentage. Now, you didn't know that we're going to beat up on you this morning, and that's not my intention because it's not your fault. It's what we preach and teach. We ask for the minimum because we erroneously think that if we ask you if everybody does at least the minimum, well, that will be a lot more than we're doing now. But how about this? I don't want you to invite one person to church. If you're a student, I want you to invite everybody in your class. I want you to invite everybody in your office, everybody in your neighborhood, everybody that you come in contact with. If I'm asking you to invite everybody, well, you still do a little bit less. That will be a whole lot more than we're doing now. Well, we don't find Jesus in the Bible sitting around with the disciples telling them, now I'm about to leave you, I'm about to go. We just celebrated the resurrection last Easter, and every time we come together, we're celebrating the resurrection. We didn't find Jesus saying, now when I'm gone... You need to invite at least one. You remember we've used the slogan sometimes, each one reach one. And boy, that sounds pretty good, each one reach one. If everybody did that, I think that things would be going well. But that's not what Jesus said to the disciples, did he? In fact, what was he said? Go ye into all the where? Go ye into all the world. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. It has a lot to do with this particular passage, how the Holy Spirit is working. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the what? Of the world and of the earth. Did they go all over the earth, the 11 disciples? Well, they gave it their best shot along with the Apostle Paul, but not quite. But they gave it their best shot. Jesus gives visions of the maximum. And we're busy telling people the least they need to do. I kind of feel like I need to apologize to our staff and maybe to our church leaders because they often hear me say, you know, you need to at least work this much. You need to at least make this many contacts. You at least need to go to the hospital on this particular day. Now, you can do more, you know, more than that, but this is the least you need to be able to do this. And, and our staff often do more. But I'm, I apologize to our staff and to our church leaders and now to the church because I will seek to paint pictures and give a vision of what can be and not the least. For So fair warning, church. We'll no longer be the church that paints a picture of the minimum required. 
we're going to be a church of the maximum. We'll no longer ask that you give the least or what's left over or what is the bottom line. What is the best that you can do? When it comes to quiet times with God in prayer, we might say, you know, it would be good if you gave God maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day, spend time in prayer reading His Word. But prayer and reading of God's Word needs to be a priority. Plan to make your conversation with God something that you do throughout the day. And it may be that you need to spend an hour or more in quiet time with the Lord Jesus and in His Word. Sacrifice or meal or something to be able to spend time in prayer. We need to fill up our calendar with people who are praying during the week for revival and for transformation and change. Giving. Well, don't give just 10% to God. Decide that everything that you have belongs to God. And then you and God just have to get together and decide how much of His money is going to go to His church. How about church attendance? Well, don't sit around and trying to decide and decipher. Now, what is the least, very least, that I can do in church attendance and still determined to be active in the church? You know, it used to be, we talk about generations gone by sometimes, it used to be active people were determined by how many times you went during the week, one to three times during the week. Now active people are determined by how many times you go during the month. But when we talk about church attendance, it's, it's about worshiping, being with, encouraging, fellowshipping, and learning from and with God's people. And it's not a duty, but it's a privilege to be able to be a part of this. Now, this is a fairly recent phenomenon because many of our senior adults will remember the time in which the calendar rotated around the church instead of the other way around. They'll remember cleaning and painting and planning and going and doing, not always expecting somebody else to do it or figure, well, I wrote my check this week. I've done my part. This is why there needs to be a change. What will the next generation do? I mean, the minimum requirements today can't get much lower. Some of you are familiar, of course, with Fraser Memorial Methodist Church. It's been for many decades now one of the faster-growing churches and active churches in Alabama. They have somewhere between 85 to 90 percent of that church that is active. Meaning, people that are they participate and are present, involved in ministry and outreach. 90 percent of a church that has thousands of members. Why? Because they've created a sense of expectation that asks their members to give their very best and not their very least. May we create a sense of expectation in our church. In fact, there's a reason that you don't have fill-in-the-blank notes today. You have some notes, and we can give you something to write on it probably before it's over. I find your notes sometimes, and I'm always surprised and glad when I find that they're filled out, and sometimes even correctly. But, you know, that... Uh, the notes that, you know, that's kind of the minimal that I want you to know. Sometimes they're written in the notes. But at least for illustration today, I want you to know and that you can even write down something more than just the minimum if you are one who likes to write notes along the way. You have opportunity today to get more and not less. Remember Larry that asked the question? Larry... That was a long time ago. He's an old guy now. Larry, where are you, Larry? Here's what I would say. When it comes to striving to be like Jesus, yes, you and I will fall short, but if you're asking why should I try to be like Jesus, because to strive to be anything less will be asking for something less than my very best, and Jesus deserves my very best. I didn't realize that rhymed so much until I said it out loud, but uh, you understand where we're going. Verse 12 that we read a moment ago says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation... And Paul goes on to say that our obligation is no longer to the flesh. Our obligation is no longer to sin, but our obligation is now to the Holy Spirit. It's to the Lord. 
You may have noticed these verses compare the difference between a slave and a son. The difference between being a slave to our sinful nature versus being in the family of God. And this morning, may we realize the freedom that we have in, to be like Christ, to strive to be like Him. Obligated, not in a sense of duty, but in a sense of gratitude, and we're drawn. We're obligated in the sense because when we realize what Christ has done, we cannot help but come and worship. We cannot help but be able to and want to come and be able to serve Him, but to serve His church and to serve on His behalf. The more I realize what Christ has done and how I am placed in His care, how can I not but want to worship and give my very best? So, what's involved in being a child in the family of God is described here in these verses. What does my Heavenly Father want me to do? He wants you to strive to be like Jesus. And here's the how, how the Holy Spirit is described in helping us to do that very thing. First, I am born into the family of God. Now we're using first person here. I want you to make it personal. I am born into the family of God if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, says, If you are to anyone who's had the kingdom of God, you must, must be born again. We're born to the family of Jesus. And we understand there's only one begotten Son. There's only one who is eternal without beginning and without ending. But we are sons and daughters, children of God. It might seem strange that a paragraph of Scripture on not being slaves begins by saying we're obligated. But we do have an obligation to fulfill. But it's no longer the flesh and the sin. We do not have to make choices the world tells us to make or that we used to make with our old sinful nature. We owe the world nothing. We owe the flesh nothing. But the Lord, whom we could not repay, He's given us life and eternal life. Romans chapter 7 tells us that sometimes, even as believers, sometimes sins win the, wins the battle. But we're born into a family where we receive the Holy Spirit, who is the source of divine power. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you the moment that you give your heart to Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, without Christ in our life, we would have no more power to defeat sin than anyone who is an unbeliever. Without the power of the Spirit, we've, we would have lost the freedom to do the right thing. We could not do the minimum, much less do the maximum. But because we're reborn to the family of God, we have an obligation to be an active, contributing part of the family. So you, we understand from these verses that we're born into a new family, we have responsibilities. It's also, I am born to the family of God, and I am to walk like Jesus walked. I'm to walk like Jesus walks. Now, verse 14 says that we are led by the Spirit. In other words, we're to, we're to walk by the Spirit. Just as every family, there's a time when the children begin to walk. They take their first steps, and all oh, the parallels to the Christian walk can probably be easily seen. What do we do in our Christian walk? Well, we take a couple of steps and we fall down. And we get back up, we try again. Sometimes we fall so hard that we bust something and it hurts. Other times we fall and we just find ourselves laying there and perhaps wallowing in our failure and whine about it. But in the Christian walk, we know that it doesn't have to be that way. For We don't have to pull ourselves up by our own power or find our own way. Again, we're led by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go into the home of some toddlers, you find parents sometimes do some creative decorating. That is, all the breakables are up and they are out of reach. 
Blankets of pillows maybe surround a fireplace or a sharp object so that the little one does not fall, cannot be hurt. Doors, drawers, and plugs are childproof. Well, while the Holy Spirit does give us spiritual protection, the Holy Spirit never seeks to confine us. Instead, the Holy Spirit wants to open the world to us so that we might be able to discover those things that as we walk with Him that we would not know had He not led us there. Exciting areas of our Christian walk. He wants to unlock the secrets of the kingdom that otherwise without the leadership of the Holy Spirit we would not know firsthand. Too many Christians are stuck in the playpen because they fall and refuse to get up or they never yielded to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. May we get up, walk and be led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit is the same as following God's will. Following God's will is the same as trying to be like Jesus. We're not being led by the Spirit if we're looking for the minimum requirements only. Isaiah may have had this in mind when he about the direction of the Spirit of the Lord when he said in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. But also, I have to talk like Jesus talked. I have to talk like Jesus talked. We've seen the parallels of being born physically and being reborn spiritually into the family of God. We then learn to walk like Jesus by being led to the Spirit. We also have to learn to talk like Jesus. Verse 15 gives us our very first words that are given that we need to cry out. Abba, Father. Now the word Father is the formal Greek way of saying Heavenly Father. Common language spoken by the people sometimes was Aramaic. Jesus often spoke Aramaic. Abba is Aramaic. It is the more familiar way of saying Father. As a matter of fact, a slave would never be able to call a master Abba, but it is more in line with an infant child. How do children learn their first words? Well, they learn it from their mom and dad. Daddy says, Dad, they say Daddy, and Mama says, say Mama. But the Spirit teaches you and I to call upon God as Father. Notice again in verse 15, it's only by the Holy Spirit that we are able to call God Father. Now, it doesn't mean anybody cannot say the words. Anybody could say the words, Abba, Father. But it's only because of the Holy Spirit that we're able to enjoy that sweet fellowship. Some of the same words were uttered by Jesus in the garden in His greatest hour of intimacy with the Father. Remember the words of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane when He said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. If the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, and that is because you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, if you turned your life over to Him, then you're able to talk like Jesus talked. Verse 15 also says that you have the spirit of sonship or adoption, which emphasizes that you are a chosen child of God. He took the initiative to bring you into the family. But also, I am to choose like Jesus chose. I have to choose like Jesus chose. As children of God, born to the family of God, we begin to grow. We learn to walk like Jesus, being led by the Spirit. Holy Spirit teaches us that, to talk like Jesus in our communication with God and how we communicate with the world in a more loving, Christ-like way. Jesus in the flesh was tempted in every way in which we are tempted, yet He was without sin. He always made the right choice. So what are we called to do, being in the family of God? 
it is that we are to seek to make right choices. One thing the Holy Spirit does for us is to make, is to help us to be able to know what the right choices are. But the Holy Spirit does not make the decisions for us. We have free will and free choices. We still have the power to choose. But the Holy Spirit points the way and lets us know the right choices to make. But the decisions are still ours. But without the Holy Spirit's direction, we have less freedom to choose the right thing to do. We have the less of a choice. The world sets us up to fail, but the Holy Spirit broadens the field. Now, it teaches us a little bit about parenting, perhaps. Now, many parents who do not make, take, or bring their children to church, sometimes they'll say that they want their children to be able to make their own choices when it comes to church or it comes to faith or it comes to religion. So they're not going to take them to church as they're coming up. I hear that sometimes. Some parents do not enforce morality under the impression that it limits their freedom to choose their own moral standards. I know of one parent, she told me her philosophy was this, it is to ignore them when they do bad and praise them when they are good. Not sure how that's worked out. Parents, we want to put before our children the right decisions so that they might have the freedom to make right decisions. If all they see are bad examples and bad choices, they are not being given a freedom of choice, They're being given a ball and chain to slavery, being set up for a life of bad decisions. Now the Holy Spirit, like a parent to every child of God who can clearly point us in the right direction, but we must use our new freedom in Christ to make the right decisions. It's a common prayer that I often pray for my family. You've heard me talk about it before, but I often pray for my family. Lord, help us to be able to know the difference between right and wrong. Help us to know the difference between what is good and what is best. And then give us the courage to make the right choice. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 says this, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another. I believe Paul talks in Galatians and throughout the New Testament, you have the freedom. You have the freedom to do the minimum. You have the freedom to do nothing. You even have the freedom to do the wrong thing. The Lord gives us that freedom in Jesus Christ. But he says here, we want to use that freedom instead to do the most. Instead to be the best that we can be with the Holy Spirit's help to be like Jesus. But one thing that is critical, even if you decide that you want to be more like Jesus, it will not happen without a daily quiet time with Christ in His Word, and in prayer. Your ability to know the right choices, to have the courage to do it, to have the power to do it, will be fueled by your time alone with Jesus. But also, we find from the Scripture, I have inherited the family business from Jesus. I am born into Jesus' family. I'm to walk like Jesus, I learn to talk like Jesus, I'm to make good decisions which please Christ and are like Him. The greatest privilege we have is to be able to join in the family business. Verse 17 that we read says, We are heirs, heirs with Christ. As members of the family of Jesus Christ, we're subject sometimes to the same trials and the same suffering and the same benefits. And whether we're being humbled or exalted, we consider it to be a part of the family business, all to the glory of God. And as a son or daughter in the family of God, we are involved in the process. 
is a process that's taking place. We're getting out of the business world. We're getting out of the business of this world. We're getting out of what would be our own business. And we're taking up the work of the Lord. Well, what is that work? Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. We're to share the good news. We're to demonstrate His love toward others. Your job, your home, your family, your schoolwork, your hobbies and sports, this church are all to be used to benefit kingdom purposes. So what you do at church and your Christianity, it's not to be scheduled as a separate part of the calendar. That would be like asking what is the minimum requirements to be considered a good Christian. We're not asking that anymore. We're seeking to be like Jesus in every way, 24-7, 365, 366 days on leap year. One of my favorite uh, hymns is the hymn, He Lives. And it's one of my favorite hymns. It's because of a dream that I had when I was... uh, when I was very young, I used to remember the dream as having a beginning and an ending, but now I remember it more like a snapshot. And in it are a picture, it's a picture of Jesus walking and he's talking with me down a narrow pathway. Sorry, I don't remember exactly what he said while he was talking to me. That was some 50 years ago. I think it was to buy stock in Dollar General. Uh, there's that sarcasm. I told you it was gone. <clears throat> Oh, it was a sense of guiding me and keeping me on the path. Whenever we sing that song, I I remember that dream. Some of you know the words. He walks with me and talks with me a long life's narrow way. And it ends, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. How about you? How do you know he lives? Do you know he lives within your heart? Then he deserves your very best. Strive to be like Him. So I'm asking you to give your very best today. In fact, it may be that you want to tell somebody today. It may be before you leave this place, you just want to tell somebody that you want to give the Lord your very best. In a few moments, we're going to have a song of response. It could be even during that song of response. Maybe you want to come, pastors will be down here at the front. Maybe you want to come and share. Just I want to give my very best. It may be that you just want to come and maybe have a word of prayer here at the altar. Maybe you want to whisper to somebody in the pew in the chair next to you. That'd be okay as well. Maybe you don't know Jesus is in your heart. But I'm telling you that the Bible tells us that you can know for sure. Give your heart and life over to Jesus today. Not because life will be easy when you do. Jesus said it would might never be easy, but it will be worth giving him everything in all you are, in your very best. Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to this passage, we are thankful that Jesus is alive today and He lives and working in us. We pray, Father, today that you may continue to be at work in the life of everyone who's here today, that you may help us to understand what it means to live like Jesus, to give our very best. We pray, Father, and look to you that uh, you may guide us, and it's not under under our own power, but under the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, for for someone here, Father, that does not know you as Lord and Savior, cannot say for sure that they've experienced Christ in their heart and their life. Father, we pray that today might be the day of salvation. Pray that you may be at work even now, Father, throughout this day to remind us who you are, remind us the reasons that you've called us, because you love us, 
You want us to give us heaven, and you want us to be able to work, give our best in your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for your presence here with us. It's in Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen. Would you please stand? You want us to give us heaven?